Hi, this is Jeff Cooper, and we welcome you to another podcast episode of Disney at Work. We are glad you could join us and we're excited for uh, today's episode because we have the opportunity to chat with legendary Disney Imagineer Tom Morris about his career that has expanded decades and has gone globally across the world and bringing new attractions and guest experiences to young and old. We uh, had an opportunity to meet for, wow, over an hour and a half at um, Mario and Enza's over at Disney Springs, a little patio area underneath the bridge. We, we ordered uh, some drinks, some sour, sourdough bread and cartoonery board and just enjoyed an opportunity to peel back and look at the business behind the magic and the lessons uh, that he has gleaned over the years, the insights that he has, lessons that really we could take back into our own uh, personal experience and our own work and, and daily endeavors. So we're, uh, we're gonna go right into the uh, podcast. So join us for uh, Tom Morris as we talk today about Journey into Imagination at Epcot. At, um, at Enzo's here at Disney Springs, and I have the great pleasure of having Tom Morris uh, with me this afternoon to talk about all things Disney, especially Imagineering, and I just really appreciate you taking a little bit of your time while you're here in Florida. Grazie, grazie. <laughs> Buongiorno. Did you, did, now, did, you, uh, did you perfect your French very well uh, no. in all those years in Paris? No, I learned menu French, <laughs> defensive <laughs> ordering. To make sure I didn't uh, accidentally order uh, kidney or brains or you know any other parts of the body that I wasn't adventurous enough to try, so I learned all of that. I learned how to order off a menu. Yeah, you would not want to eat in that restaurant next to Pirates of the Caribbean because they had the <laughs> they had the strangest menu and it was so dark you couldn't see what you were eating. Right. So yeah. Well, when we opened, it was very adventurous. Uh, I remember the one in Fantasyland was too. Awesome. Awesome. So um, there are some other wonderful websites that's kind of going through your history, and we'll um, include those on the show notes if people would like to go listen to those podcasts as well. But I just wanted to go through a couple of moments in your career and, um, and talk about maybe some of the lessons you learned, some stories, some insights that you gleaned. And often you kind of, one of the principal places you start with, you talk a little bit about world motion, but... Uh, journey into imagination I think you really got immersed right. with track layout and all of that involved and I think that's that's fortuitous because uh, I don't know I think there are so many people who have this love of all things figment and they love the old ride I don't know that they always understood the ride <laughs> because right. there really were three acts to that the right. sh- first you kind of showcase the idea of gathering ideas. Right. And then you took those ideas and you stored them in um, the dream port. And then you applied those ideas through a wide variety of things such as literature and media and the arts and so forth. Um, and, and so there's a creative process that kind of plays out right. in Journey to Imagination. Did you see that same process drive 
your experience as you built that attraction or and do you remember any stories that kind of said okay this is really kind of how this evolves and this is how we do it in Imagineering how did how did that process kind of yeah, come for you I think it was similar um, and I didn't know if that was a coincidence or not but I just remember the I was part of the original um, creative meetings on it the brainstorming sessions and you know we had no idea what um, we were going to do so um, we knew I think we knew that we wanted a ride because all of the major pavilions had at least one uh, ride experience and there was a notion that we wanted an area where people could create images um, experiment with imagery and photography and um, and then also I think the 3D movie was also kind of part of the early discussions. So it was really what was the ride going to be? Um, yeah. It, well, how, you know, how is it going to express imagination, especially when imagination can be very personal? You know, uh, my imagination versus your imagination versus Walt Paraguay's imagination versus Tony Baxter's imagination, etc. So um, I think you know, a little bit of the process that we were going through, which was gathering ideas, and that wasn't unique to Journey into Imagination, but for me, that was my first, you know, experience. Um, so I was kind of, there kind of was like a, you know. Well, now that you mentioned it, you, in another podcast, you talked about Marty Scalar being very good at bringing disparate ideas yeah. to the table. Right. And you mentioned um, Perroy um, being brought in at right. one point, which... I, I want to say I always think of him and that UPI or UP, UPA style right. of animation, right. that um, mid-century right. freeform. Right. So I guess that was probably an example of gathering ideas from different places. Uh, perhaps I think we had already by that time um, determined more or less what the um, what the attraction was going to be. And we wanted something that, um, you know, was very different for the art section because we knew there was going to be kind of a certain element of that steampunk kind of look. It didn't have yeah. that name back then, by the way. <laughs> we didn't know what to call it. <laughs> you kind of Jules Vernian uh, kind of look. And, um, you know, so there was, there was a little bit of old-fashionedness to it. We knew we needed, you know, something very modern and very up-to-date. And that would probably be in the science and maybe the entertainment area. And uh, kind of good old-fashioned Disney fantasy for the literature. And so that yeah. left the arts to be, you know, a little bit more freeform. And, um, and so Walt Paraguay was a perfect fit for that. I think he had also done some concepts, though, for the, um, now that I think of it, he had done some concepts for the uh, ride with the dream catching machine or the introduction okay. it, it, I can't remember at what point it shifted to a dream catching machine because it started off in an observatory um, oh initially. yeah I've seen that image yeah. and, and that was probably back when Tony was actually doing the Discovery Bay concept version of that attraction he was done yeah he was already that had already been kind of put on hold and um but I remember, you know, I remember the big telescope and the sense of it being in an observatory. And, and um, at first, I think it was Dreamfinder or a Professor Marvel kind of a character. 
and eventually Figment came along. But but Walt had done some. Walt Paraguay had done some concepts for that, and I I saw them Early a couple on. two or three years ago when I was going through um, the art. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot that you know Walt had taken a pass at that too. And what we left from that were the kind of clouds that um, I ended up defining all of those clouds and kind of being his wrist in a way, uh, which I loved um, to kind of you know delineate what those clouds would look like. At some point, and you know I might have been on vacation or something because I remember I it seemed like I had come back and suddenly there was a dream catching machine. Um, so I think. I think I did take a vacation or something and for a couple of weeks. And the dream catcher machine really kind of drove the whole turntable. Yeah, yes. And so I ended up, um, Steve Kirk came up with the idea to use the dream catching machine and did a model, a spectacular, beautiful model for it. And it landed on my desk and uh, it was up to me to kind of draw that up and fit it in and work out all the geometry and you know, there's as much of a, it's as much as a timing challenge as yeah. it was a spatial challenge, an operational challenge. I mean, everything kind of came together, uh, and I learned real quick all about THRC and feet per second <laughs> and pitch. Theoretical is, hourly uh, ride capacity for those of you who haven't learned that and phrase yet. Feet per second and the distance center point between vehicle um, and the minimum speed of a vehicle like that could go in the maximum you could go in a loading area there were all these kind of you know parameters and so it, it quickly honed in what that uh, turntable needed to be in order to um, provide the capacity needed and the lines of sight needed to make it a credible scene so, yeah. it, didn't, so it didn't seem like you were watching a movie or you know ended uh, up being segmented yeah so you've had your own incredible journey of imagination through your whole career. Coming back to this attraction, not so much what would you do different to the attraction, but how would you, how would you, what about imagination have you learned in that time frame that you would want to infuse into a redo, if, well, if ever a redo was done for right. imagination? I think... I think if it wasn't clear in the first attraction, and I think it was, but maybe it could have been made more clear, um, was that it's not a binary thing, that you're either scientific and practical or you're artistic and freeform, that you mm. can be different combinations of those. They're not, they don't cancel one another out. Um, so... Um, and, and you often kind of hear that in educational left brain, discussion. Right brain. Yeah, left brain, right brain. Um, and they are complementary, but you can also have, you know, there are some people who are both. <laughs> well, uh, and you play that out perfectly because you came in, you know, you, you, you have such an artistic side of you that's played out, but this job was really a very technical yeah, figure out was, how to get this right. I was from doing a to Z and an that. industrial engineer's job in a way. Yeah. I was also doing a. A mechanical engineer's job too with and, your drafting yeah with the drafting and the turntable uh and fitting that you know and and i did all the drawings for the dream catching machine that would typically be done by like ride engineering and uh but because it was so crucial that everything fit you know there was a rear projection projection screen 
with rear projectors, you know, that were going to project special effects, uh, all sorts of things. That it really was like a jeweler's job to um, get everything to fit and work and be practical and be operational. So uh, it didn't take too long to figure out all the kind of the THRC side of things, the feet per second, but I was shocked how many people couldn't figure that out. Not in, in the department that I was in, it was like a, a magic or alchemy or some kind of a thing that was like, but it's so or simple. Or Arrow will figure it out, you know. Yeah, right. You know? Or someone, you know, we weren't working with Arrow at the time, but maybe yeah. someone at Mapo or, you know, or whoever the magicians were that, you know, that and that's a, a kind of a common mistake that's still made today is that and on the front end of um, creating and of design that there's an assumption that it some impossible thing will be figured out later downstream. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, we can only load four people every 10 minutes. Someone else will figure out, you know, how to fix that. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't get fixed. So, but that also came from being a ride operator, which I was for two and a half years at Disneyland and observing um, the attractions and observing how you couldn't um, override certain um, you know, certain intervals or certain facts. So an example on the submarines, there were three fleets um, that would be dispatched. And some guys would think that they were being heroic by speeding up through the whole attraction and shortchanging the experience, the show experience thinking that they were going to increase the capacity and of course it, just doesn't, it doesn't work that work way out. because they just get to the um, unload area quicker but there's a line to get into the you know if you do that then you're just sitting there waiting for three minutes because it's um, really impossible for 38 people to unload and load on one of those submarines in less than three minutes so yeah. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> it's just impossible change. you have three you know, you have even if one submarine did it, you'd have to have all three submarines magically be able to unload and load that many people quicker, way quicker than the average. So, but it always averaged out. You know, so I, you know, that I just observed that. Like, okay, why is the guy ahead of me racing through here? Why is the guy behind me, you know, pushing me through there? Because I know exactly how long to go through there and maximize the show experience, and still come into the unload area and have to wait, you know, 20 seconds or 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Now, I want to come back to Disneyland moment, but before we leave Epcot, I do want to ask as we go from park to park, were you at Epcot this week? I was. So when you go to Epcot, what, what's, the, what's the thing you love to do? When I, you, I you, go to the, the place you got to visit and you got to reminisce or remember. Yeah, the UK pub. UK pub. <laughs> and the <laughs> France film. And you know, the Impression de France, yeah. which in the other podcast you talk a lot about right. how that made such an impression. You it did. Trip it did, Afterwards, yeah. and that ultimately led to Disneyland Paris. Right. But in, before you got to Disneyland Paris, you were doing some Disneyland As you can see, our podcast was going to continue on. We're going to move to Disneyland next, and, and then afterwards to Disneyland Paris and to Hong Kong Disneyland. But I wanted to use this podcast today to focus on some of the things that that Tom has spoken of, this idea of how do we build out the left side and the right side of our brains and take advantage of what can brought, be brought creatively uh, to the experience. When I think about left brain, right brain, I think of one of the great 
sleeper attractions at Epcot. Do you remember Cranium Command? We'll put a link in the uh, show notes uh, of, a, of a video of Cranium Command, but it was so um, terrific because it showed the journey of a young boy who uh, was smitten by this girl and trying to get the attention of this girl while dealing with being bullied and how he was using his brain, particularly the left brain and the right brain, in order to to bring to uh, uh, bring solutions to the table to address the problems and challenges he was facing, whether it was being late for school or or possibly getting into a fight with other kids or again winning the heart of this girl. And uh, it was such a terrific uh, show because you saw literally these characters of the left brain and the right brain um, uh, played out um, on the screens. Um, the character was called Buzzy and uh, he would sit in what seemed to be like this uh, brain portal and he could see out the eyes and he could, and, uh, and other aspects of his, his, his body, whether it was stomach, which was hungry, or his bladder, which was full, or his hypothalamus, which feel, felt unappreciated. Um, but the, uh, the, uh, in, the, in the show, these characters of the left brain and the right brain were really loved. They were played by, the left brain was played by Charles Grodin, and the right brain was played by John Lovitz, and they were complete opposites. But at the end, what what Buzzy learns is he's got to he's got to listen to both sides, both the left brain and the right brain, and and that's what he does in the in the end. He's in the in the moment of of greatest trial when he is fighting the possibility of being um, punished by the school and thrown out, and there goes his education and all that. He he turns to both the left brain and the right brain and. And he gets answers to it, to to his solution, and those answers save the day. As as Buzzy puts it um, at the end of the experience, use your brain, don't lose your brain, and that that is a great invitation to all of us to think about how we could use the left brain as well as the right brain in everything that we're doing. Um, I, building on this. Uh, I loved a quote from Ed Catmull. If you're not familiar with Ed, he, along with John Lasseter, were really the founders of what became Pixar. And Ed really, John really kind of brought in the right side of the experience. Um, Ed brought in the left side in the same way that kind of Walt and Roy. I mean, you think about Walt Disney being right, bringing the creative aspect and and uh, Roy bringing in the uh, the business aspect. Now I say that, and I want to be very clear. Walt was really the brilliance of Walt Disney was that he played to the left brain as much as the right brain. He was always interested in technology. He was always tinkering and trying to understand things, and and I think that's what made Walt Disney achieve things that others could not because he built off of the left brain as well as the right brain, as passionate as he might have been with his creative self. Going back to Ed Catmull, when he talks about finding, he does this uh, in his book that he authored, um, and we'll put a link to it on the uh, show notes. 
He said, making pictures with a computer spoke to both sides of my brain. And that's how computer animation came. It's he saw the possibilities of using technology to doing something incredibly creative. Don Hahn, who has, uh, was the producer of The Lion King and Beauty and the Beast and has been such a, a big part of the Disney scene for so many decades, has also spoken to this. He speaks about it in terms of the concept of balance. And when he talks about balance, I mean, he looks at painting, he looks at color in terms of that, that balance. Um, I'm just going to quote uh, a little something out of his book called Brainstorm, Unleashing Your Creative Self. Again, we'll put, the, uh, we'll put the link on the show notes page. He says, and I think this applies to all of us, so listen to this. Look for an opposite to balance your work. If you are an accountant, take up dancing. If you're a musician, follow the stock market. If you like to cook, go out and play a little football from time to time. That speck of contradiction will give your creations great range and color. Let's say you're a business person and you are trying to bring more creativity into your life. You should indeed read those books about 10 ways to get a better bottom line and such, but you do yourself a bigger favor by introducing a balancing element into your life. Pack up and travel to Tibet. Read a good piece of fiction. Get into a heated political discussion with your father-in-law. Buy a foreign newspaper. Eat a fine meal. Paint a painting. Or take singing classes. If we broaden our base of experience, those outside influences will begin to cross over into our daily jobs. I think that's just great advice. Whether you refer to it as balance or you refer to it as the idea of, of um, using both your left brain and your right brain, consider all of the possibilities which can come to you when you build build on that. So I've loved this, this uh, return to Journey to Imagination. By the way, uh, a month or two ago during Disney Dragon Week, we had a podcast dedicated especially to how um, the original Journey into Imagination was designed with its three acts. And so check out that podcast because I think uh, it offers some additional ideas that play on the very uh, themes that we're talking about here. Meanwhile, allow me to offer some souvenirs for you and your organization. Think about these things. How do you bring new ideas to the table? How do you play out to both the left and right side of your brain? How do you distinguish yourself in the marketplace because you bring both the left and right side of your brain to the table? And is there an opportunity for you to take on something that others have not taken on? I think these are opportunities to really emerge as unique uh, contributors in the workforce when we think about how we can bring not just one or the other, and it's great, it's great to, to want to defer to one over the other. There's no problem with that tendency, but play off of the other tendency because it will grow your own tendency. If you're, if you're that creative person, looking at math, looking at technical items, looking at science will only add to your growth as a right brain person or as a left brain person. And as a right brain person, as somebody who's technical, find the creative. 
it will add to your thoughts about about um, science and math and all of those kinds of kinds of things. Well, this has been the first again of a series of podcasts we're going to have with Tom Morris about his own journey into into being. Uh, a great leader at Disney and I so appreciate the time he's taken today uh, to to share with us his ideas again we have other places we're heading and I'm excited to see that please check out our notes page please subscribe to our podcast we have so much to share with you and uh, we're excited to bring that to you and remember whether it is um, at work or at play always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day.